You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at SD Times. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast episode. With the Tokyo Olympics well underway, many cybersecurity insiders are still on high alert that the event could still face an onslaught of cyber attacks. We're going to cover why the event is such a big target for uh, for hackers, what the threat landscape looks like, and what defenses should be put in place, and more. With me today is Lisa Plagemeyer, the Interim Executive Director at the National Cyber Security Alliance. Welcome to the show, Lisa, and thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to have you here. So to start off, why do you think that the Tokyo Olympics are a big target for these sort of attacks, and what might an attacker be looking after? So the the whole world is watching, right? This is a a global event and um, bad guys and and leaders of foreign adversaries have egos. Some of them have pretty famous egos. So if you're a bad guy with an ego, this is an an attractive thing. Your, Your work could potentially be seen by millions. And I think we have to remember that this isn't a kid in you know, his mom's basement, this is organized crime and and nation state actors, and frequently those two things acting together, particularly in the case of of Russia. So it's well orchestrated for impact. And just as if it was a legitimate enterprise, you know, think about a technology company, for example, that might be launching a new product, you might, you might organize the launch of that product around some other event that's happening, you know, or the consumer electronics show or, or some other um, event that's relevant for your industry and for your customers, because you're trying to get the most bang for your buck. You want your product to be seen by as many people as possible. So if you think about it through that business lens and you think about, you know, organized crime as a, as a business, this is really no different, right? They're choosing to, to launch their product at a high profile event and what's more high profile than a, than a global event like the Olympics. Right. Right. Um, so have there been, or do you know of any attacks that have been blocked preemptively or, or what type the organizers were, you know, made to look out for whether disinformation campaigns, ransomware? Yeah. So there's actually been, um, uh, phishing attacks. The, the Japanese Olympic Committee reported that they were the victim of a ransomware attack um, just recently. They also found some malware designed to just wipe files on, on a couple of their machines two days before the opening ceremony. So those types of attacks, phishing, smishing, phishing, ransomware, I think that's the, the thing to, to be looking out for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you think about motivation you know um we have to let the last olympic olympics teach us because you know russia isn't happy with the consequences of their of their state-run doping program they've been banned until the end of 2022 by the world Mm -hmm. anti-doping agency and um you know we see their some of their athletes still participating but not under the russian flag they're not even allowed to use the russian bear as as a symbol on anything so that gives them that gives them motivation um, to want to express their displeasure with that whole situation. Okay. So I think we're gonna we'll continue to see more more attacks from the Russian mm-hmm. Federation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think I saw that the uh, the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang, so the highest level attacks thus far, um, is that the one that you were mentioning? Before? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, 
So actually the U.S. has, has now charged those responsible for, mm-hmm. for that attack, for attempting to destabilize the Winter Olympics. And, um, and that attribution is, is no small feat, being able to track down who you think was specifically responsible. Um, I've read some information that said that, those, that the Russian actors behind those attacks tried to emulate some code that was normally used by North Korea, so mm-hmm. that um, maybe that would throw law enforcement off the scent. But, um, but they've officially been charged, and um, they were also the same group that was responsible for the Ukrainian power grid attacks and um, spearfishing campaigns that were attempting to disrupt the 2017 French election. So again, these aren't kids. These are members of the Russian Federation and, and officers in the, the, the Russian intelligence directorate um, known as the GRU. So this is highly organized and, and very sophisticated. Right. What are you seeing are the most common attack surfaces for for making a breach like this? Is it through uh, user error, setting setting up security measures? Is there something that they could be doing better? Yeah, it, I mean, it could be as simple as a phishing email. You know, the vast majority of attacks start with a with a plain old phishing email. So just making sure that you have all the proper endpoint controls in place. Um, that your antivirus is up to date, that all your technology is is up to date, and that you run any um, any patches and updates. I mean, most of those patches and updates are have some, you know, they're security related in some way. Um, so it's really important to have a, a regular schedule. Um, I worked for a CISO at one time who said, you know, if we ask folks when they when they do patching and they just say, oh, as, as patches become available, that, that means they probably don't have an actual process, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That sort of ad hoc attitude about patching. So whether it's Patch Tuesday or whatever it is, um, you have to have a process and you have to make sure that, the, that it gets done. You know, that you don't hit a road bump and then somebody gets derailed and then there's other priorities and then somehow like the patches never got completed or same thing with updates, right? Like it, you have to have a, a process for it because as much as we'd like to believe this is all about technology, people in process are, are the other two legs of the three-legged security stool. We, you really need to have nailed down processes and you need to, you know, make sure that things get done. It's, it's to your, to your point, it's not always the end user making the human error, clicking on the fish. It's oftentimes our friends in IT or other departments in the company that are responsible for a particular process. And maybe the human error isn't clicking on a fish, but the human error is not 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 completing um, an update or or not patching or you know it's it's process errors and human errors of, of that kind. Mm-hmm. Um, the best defense against uh, ransomware isn't isn't really um, defense. It's 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 having rock solid backups, so that if you do get an attack, you can just um, you know shut it down, reimage, and and keep rolling. You know, move to your backups and not see any disruption or, or have a, a absolutely minimal disruption. That's that's really the the most important piece of mm-hmm. being able to cope with ransomware, and then. You know, having tabletop exercises, running those simulations where you know exactly what your policies are around ransom, ransomware, what you would do in case of an attack, what your you know incident response would be, working together with 
executives and and people in all the different departments of your organization on that simulation so so that you can um you can practice there's you you don't want to be making a decision about ransomware in the heat of the moment right? right once the attack has happened the best time to decide you know okay how would we cope with this if it happened to have you know to decide whether or not you want to have a policy against paying a ransom which i highly encourage everybody to to have the best time to have discussions about that is not in the heat of the moment <laughs> when your customers are screaming and you can't access your data and your employees are confused and the press is calling you that's not the time to make those decisions the time to make those decisions is you know in advance knock on wood it never happens you never need to use that policy but it's really an, an ethical question if you if you pay the ransom you're fueling cybercrime and and do you really want to be that company and i know for a lot of companies it comes down to the heat of the moment and what are we going to do in this moment and the ceo sees that it's going to be cheaper to pay than it is than it's going to be to 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 try and um, recover on their own and that's really unfortunate um, right. <clears throat> you know like the pipeline company that chose to pay the ceo said it was the hardest decision he ever had to make because you're you're paying criminals and it just doesn't feel right and it's not right and the federal government will tell you it's not, it's not right you know the fbi's official stance is, is don't pay um but the only way you're gonna you're gonna flush out all those issues and have those discussions at the executive level is to do some sort of tabletop to practice you know that occurrence and um enforce those conversations all the way up to the board level yeah, and uh, actually going off of that, you know, now organizations are seeing these that these large-scale attacks are happening, such as like the Colonial Pipeline that you mentioned before, and they're seeing just how expensive it can get. Do you see that they're prioritizing now, putting cybersecurity first uh, all across the, the board and in, in different departments? Yeah, I actually do see, um, I think it's getting into the public consciousness a little bit more as well. When you think about those, you know, the pictures we all saw on the news of consumers standing in line for, for gas in the Northeast, it's not just getting into the consciousness of, of more boards and, and more um, organizations. It's also getting to the public consciousness. And I, I think that's, um, I think that's a really good thing because all those humans, many of those people, those the members of the public, they have organizations that they're a part of, whether it's a, a school or a, or a municipality or, or a, um, a company. And so, you know, we all, across your life, you need, you know, you think about all the different things you're involved in in your life, whether it's a place of worship or, a, you know, your kid's school or, or whatever it is, all of these organizations are, are being attacked. And so I think it's just helping everyone to, to think, it, not just in terms of their own personal safety and security in their family, but, you know, do I want my municipality to pay ransom, you know, a ransom for a ransomware attack? How do I feel about that if that's where my tax dollars are going? If it happens at my local hospital and I'm a patient there to my doctor's office, I mean, it was a veterinary clinic that got attacked lately with ransomware and decided not to pay um, and had some backups, not as much as they would have liked to, but um, the community all pitched in and, and, um, helped that veterinarian through that attack uh, by providing the most recent records of things like their, their pets, you know, in shots and things like that. So that um, they kind of plugged all the missing holes in the data. 
But um, yeah, I, I do see it getting more attention. The other dynamic in the business world is that um, the way cyber insurance works is in some cases changing. So, you know, I think if you decide to not have just good basic IT processes and, and there's no insurance that's going to make up for stupidity, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you've made a conscious decision that, you know, we're just going to go out and buy a cyber risk insurance policy and not do the things we should be doing, that's really negligent. So um, the insurance companies, I think, are changing the way that they write some of those policies. And of course, that's having an effect then. on the way people treat the risk. Great. Well, thank you for all of your insight, Lisa. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that's interesting um, that I haven't asked about? Maybe a little bit about the National Cybersecurity Alliance, if I can give you the the, the 10-second pitch on who we are. So um, we are a D.C.-based nonprofit. Our mission is to empower a more secure, interconnected world. Um, and we're at, we advocate for the safe and secure use of all technology. We love to see people get involved during Cybersecurity Awareness Month, which is every October. We're, the, we're kind of the, the founders of that, of that event, as well as um, we also celebrate Data Privacy Day in January. So we're always looking for people to sign up to be champions and um, supporters of, of both of those events. Um, we have a ton of information on Cybersecurity Awareness Month on our website, staysafeonline.org. Lots of free materials. If you're at an organization that doesn't have a dedicated security training and awareness program, we have a ton of information and free materials for everybody to use. You don't um, have to worry about copyrights or trademarks or any of that stuff. So I would just encourage you to uh, to visit staysafeonline.org and um, take advantage of all the, the free free goodies out there to raise awareness amongst your user communities. All right, great. Well, looks like that's all the time we have for today's show. And I want to thank you again, Lisa, for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in today. Be sure to check out all of our weekly episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform. Till next time, this has been What the Depth.